Philly Built is brought to you by phillyzoning.com, which is powered by Anastasio Law, a boutique real estate and zoning law firm in the Rittenhouse Square neighborhood of Philadelphia. Council President Johnson, to every leader whose name I just mentioned, if we don't get, I'm not talking about incremental change. I'm talking about bold, transformative steps that when people walk outside of their houses, they can touch, see, and feel the results of our labor. If they don't see it, it's on us. Hi, folks. Vern Anastasio here, and welcome back to Philly Built. Now, once upon a time, little neighborhood-based local newspapers were everywhere in Philadelphia. And while today's national media environment is very different, in Philly, well, we still have amazing hyper-local media outlets. So today, we dive into the power of neighborhood-based media with Chestnut Hill Local's Carla Robinson. And we discuss the SEPTA train cuts, a dirty water supply, and a phantom zoning RCO all in Northwest Philadelphia. Right here, as we discuss the power of hyper-local media on Philly Built. Carla Robinson, welcome to Philly Built. Oh, it's nice to be here. As the editor of the Chestnut Hill Local, uh, you're on the front lines of getting information to neighborhoods. in this hyper local media environment. And I suppose I'd like to start the conversation uh, with an understanding of what you, what you see your mission is as a neighborhood paper. And when I say neighborhood, I realize that it, your paper covers more than just Chestnut Hill, but you have readers in Germantown and Mount Airy as well. Tell us, are, are you calling balls and strikes for the most part? Or do you see yourself, your paper, as an advocate for those neighborhoods? Oh, wow. What an interesting question. And I'm so glad you asked it, actually, because, you know, when I started at the local, it had, the paper had been through some trying years and a lot of stress. And I think for various reasons, which were no one's fault in particular, it had lost some amount of credibility, you know, for its readers. And so I, when I undertook that job, I realized, okay, my primary focus right now is trust building. You know, everything that we do is, has got to be in support of rebuilding trust with our readers. And the longer I'm in this job, the more I really deeply understand just how core that principle is to what we do. You know, the news is not something that just happens on a piece of paper. (laughs) You know what I mean? It doesn't, just because I'm a reporter or a journalist or an editor or whatever I may be, there's not some magic news gremlin who, you know, inserts information into my brain that I can then deliver to the paper. <laughs> you know, what right. news is, news is an interaction. You know, journalism happens 
inside of the conversation between the journalist and the people who they cover. You know, and, and so now I've lost the original question. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the 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 question is, and I it comes, I think, down to how you see your core mission. Um, yeah. Not just at the local, but uh, you know, the, all all the neighborhood based media, be it uh, e-newsletters or blogs or newspapers like yours. Uh, do you see yourself or local media in general, hyper-local media in general, calling those balls and strikes? Or do you see yourself uh, in an advocacy position for the for the residents, for the readers of Chestnut Hill, Germantown, and Mount Airy? Well, I guess I would say both of those things are true at the same time. In that, I do really believe that by delivering fair, accurately reported information, that is the best way that I can advocate for our communities. You know, uh, that's what people need and want. They need a, a place to go for information that they really trust. And in order to continue being that thing in their minds, I have to engage every day in being fair, balanced, and honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? So calling balls and strikes with love, I guess is what I would say, is my answer to that question. Makes sense. Uh, I suppose both can be true at the same time. I mean, I definitely feel like as a con community newspaper, we are a core and integral part of our community. You know, and the reason that we can do what we do and do it well is because the people who live in our communities trust us, you know, and they talk to us. They consider us to be their newspaper. Right. So they're comfortable picking up the phone and, and telling and, me what they think about A, B and C. And with that, uh, what good can a hyperlocal paper like yours do for a particular community? I think I, I think our best use is supporting the people who live in that community to be all that they can be. Like, for example, uh, a topic you had brought up earlier having to do with the Save the Train and the Chestnut Hill West line. You know, the various civic leaders in our various communities have mobilized in a big way because they care about that issue. So how do we serve them? We give them a place to land. We give them a platform. We support their, we, we print what it is they have to say. We investigate what they care about. We reflect back to the world what it is that they are doing. So that like if, if they were networking and organizing in support of keeping the Chestnut Hill West train line open without a local newspaper, their voices would be sort of lost, much more so than they are now. So I, I would say that's what we do. We support we we support what it is that people are doing and what they are capable of doing. Yeah, and the story, the issue of the Chestnut Hill uh, West Line of SEPTA facing um, being shuttered uh, is a real 
concern, not just for advocates of public transportation, but for people who believe in proper urban planning and for the thousands of people in the Northwest who take that line into Center City every day for work. And for young kids who who go uh, and use Chestnut Hill West for school, um, it's a it's a real problem for Northwest Philadelphia. And I suppose we're we're really not hearing a whole lot from uh, general media, like the the, the six p.m. newscasts or the Inquirer. Mm-hmm. We ha- yeah. folks have to really rely on papers like yours. Yeah, I'd say that's definitely true. And that's not just limited to the train line story. That's true of so many different stories. You know, it's, it's, uh, I understand it, too. I've been in both worlds. You know, when you're, when you're at the level of the inquirer, you know, you've got a whole city to cover. And, you know, and you don't have a bigger staff than you used to, you have a smaller one. So you just cannot focus on such, you know, on individual neighborhood concerns in the same way that we can. It's just not possible. So that's why I feel like the whole, you know, the local media environment that exists in Philadelphia, I mean, we're really, this city is blessed to have a pretty flourishing one. And I think it's just so important because the Inquirer, the Inquirer has its own very important role to play and it can do things that we cannot. But... Without us, I think their efforts would be would be thinner. You know, they would be much less robust. I'm pretty sure the Inquirer relies upon papers like ours to get tips and information about what's happening out in the city. And do you, do you think it's sort of a, a competition sort of thing that is set up so that, that they feel like they do need to cover to the extent that they can some local neighborhood news you know i don't know that certainly used to be true i think that's changing we are a part of i don't know are you familiar with outfits like resolve philadelphia or yes you are Yeah, Yeah, yeah 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 so yeah i do feel like more and more people who care about journalism are understanding that we all need to collaborate and work together and support one another and amplify uh, what we do. You know, if we're, if we're, because ultimately guess what? It's not about me. It's not about even the Chestnut Hill local. And I'll even say it's not about the Philadelphia Inquirer. What it's about is that we all can keep doing what it is that we do in such a way that we support the people who live here. You know, they need to keep getting good and reliable information. And we need to do what we have to do in order to make sure that they get that. And sometimes that means competing with one another. I mean, competition's not a bad thing. No. <laughs> you know, because it does it does sort of push you to do your best. But and it gives you a sense of urgency, which I think really matters. Uh, but at the same time, though, it can also be problematic if you get lost in that. You know, so I, the way I see it is uh, I am totally all about collaboration. You know, if I, I do not allow, I refuse to allow the size of our paper and the limitations of our resources to limit the kind of journalism we can produce for our readers. 
So if I that means that if I need to team up and collaborate with other publications to do something more ambitious than what we could do on our own, then I'm absolutely going to do that. And I'm going to have fun doing it too. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Let's talk about those challenges that you face. Um, First from an editorial perspective, Uh, being the size that you are with the resources that you have, what does a local neighborhood newspaper, um, uh, the challenges that it faces, how do you manage that editorial wise? Oh, it's a, it's um it's a daily challenge. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'll say we have a tiny, our editorial staff is four people, including myself. Now wow. I can say, and I feel very lucky to be able to say that every single one one of us on our staff, we're all good at what we do. We care about what we're do, what we do, and and we're a great team. You know, so we're there because we love journalism. <laughs> you know, so it's not it's not a job, it's not a paycheck. It's a sure. it's a mission, pretty much for all of us. So, so with that said, I don't really know how to answer the question other than to say I'm always robbing Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> I have a freelance budget, which I use when I need it. Um, And uh, yeah, I guess I don't really know how to answer the question any more than that, except you just keep trying. You know, you always do your best. You do your best with what you have. I think most listeners could appreciate that and understand that. Uh, The the whole idea, the whole concept of robbing Peter to pay pay Paul and running anything on a limited budget uh, with limited resources. Mm-hmm. Um, what mm-hmm. sort of publishing challenges um, do you face or have you faced, um, especially the, over the last two years uh, w- when you've taken over the paper, uh, as just in producing and publishing the paper and getting it out? Uh, oh, is, geez. Yeah. <laughs> because more and more people will rely on, you know, the Internet to read their news. Right. Oh, so yeah. Oh, so yeah. tell us what that's looked like. Okay, well, I would prefer, instead of using the word challenge, I would just say, what's a better word? I mean, it's such an interesting and sort of dynamic environment we're in right now, this whole conversation between print versus digital. Um, And that has so much to do with your business model, right? Like, currently, we at the local, we're lucky in that our print advertising revenue still supports a large portion of our operating costs. Now that's shrinking over time and will continue to shrink because we all know that the print ad business is, you know, its days are numbered. <laughs> but for now anyway, it is still working for us and that's that's good. And also I will say producing a print product has its own there's 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 challenges and benefits that come with that you are a little bit hamstrung because you've got the print deadline and you have to fill the paper, you know? So you're generating copy that you might not otherwise generate if you just had a website that you had to worry about. Right. So there's that. Um, But at the same time though, there is something about getting a piece of paper, you know, and people really really like, there really is. And I hear this all the time. We, in the last six months, went on a series of listening tours because we're, we're right now embarking on a, upon a plan to uh, 
expand deeper into Mount Airy and Germantown. And so we just had made a lot of appointments with people to go and talk to them about, you know, what was missing for them in their news environment and how could we really best serve them. And honestly, over and over and over, we heard people like to see themselves in the paper. You know, they really do. And I'll say, you know, our features about people, other people, you know, that your neighbors who are doing something interesting, they're very popular. And it's, it's, um, it, you know, I just think that's, that's part of our role as a community newspaper, you know, as we over and over again, every week, we introduce the people who live in our communities to their neighbors. You know, look, these are all these interesting people who live possibly next door to you. <laughs> and this is what they're doing. This is what you're, these are the people who make up your community. Yeah, that's, and, you know, that's a fascinating take. One that I've never really considered. Obviously, people want to be able to pick up a local newspaper in their from their neighborhood and read about what their neighbors are doing. I get that. But the idea that people actually enjoy seeing themselves in that paper, that that's something I've never even thought of. But uh, it's obvious now that you've said it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, I'm, yeah. if I'm running a park cleanup next week uh, for the little pocket park in the neighborhood, I'm really going to appreciate seeing myself advocating for that park cleanup and uh, through the eyes of a reporter from the local newspaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 100%. that's fascinating. Yeah. And if you happen to be a reader who might just know you, they'll see that picture and they go, oh, look, there's Vern. Look what he's up to. Maybe I'll go do that too. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a very, this is where I keep coming back to this notion of the importance of community. You know, I do think that a newspaper like ours can really be such an important, what's the word I want to use? Like, it's just, a, it's a, it's cohesion. It can offer cohesion to a community. It gives, helps people understand the place where they live. You know, this is who we are. This is who our community is. Yeah, and you're a connector as Very well. Very much so. Very and, much so. And, you, and you've answered uh, what was going to be my next question. What can a neighborhood newspaper like yours do that really nothing else can? And oh, I be, would absolutely be, say that, yeah. Being that connector and defining the place through your paper is something that no one else can do. No one else can do it. And I'll come back to print as well. You know, one of the advantages of print is that when you open up that paper and you page through it, you are, you see stories that you weren't already looking for. You know, typically when you're looking for news about what's going on next door or some issue, like say, let's go back to the train station. You're really, I mean, the train line, you're, say you're really concerned about Chestnut Hill West and you're looking for news. Pretty easy to go online and just Google it. And you can get the stories that we've written. You can get the stories that WHYY might've written and whatever the inquirer has produced. It's not hard. But what you don't get is, oh, look, on that page right behind it, there's this story about the guy who's been running the deli at the market for the last 30 years. 
<laughs> you know, right. and that who everybody knows personally by first name. By so the you, very you, right by the very definition, hyper local, right? Hyper local, hyper local. And when I was reading the Chestnut Hill local recently, uh, uh, purposely going there for updates on the Chestnut Hill West line, I stumbled across another story that I had never even heard about. Uh, and I you know, read the Inquirer pretty often, and it was about the five boarded up train stations oh, along. Yeah in the neighborhood, in the community, that SEPTA now is looking for tenants to fill, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is, I guess, you know, it's transit adjacent story, but it certainly was interesting and it certainly impacts the neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. Only a paper like yours can do that. I'm so glad you read it. Most certainly. And and what is your take? I'm going to ask ask you not to be calling balls and strikes right now, but what is your take on the threat of Chestnut Hill West Line actually closing and its impact on the community? Oh, wow. Well, there's a couple of different, different layers to the answer to that question. You know, in the immediate, the immediate impact, of course, would be, you know, you're cut off from this kind of access to center city. Like my daughter goes to school. I live in Germantown and my daughter goes to school in center city. She takes the train and so do all her classmates. And I know people who commute to work. Um, And then there's also people who can't afford a car who really rely upon it. So there's that impact. You know, if the train line were to go away, we, it would be, we'd have to cope with that. It would be problematic. We'd have to come up with another solution. It would be sad, but we could cope. I think even just as important as the loss of that immediate service, it's just, it's just so sad to think about this city and this region walking away from the potential that all those lines are. I mean, the, the way in which, I mean, you know Chestnut Hill, you used to live there, and this is true for all of the communities, and uh, most of them anyway, in Northwest Philadelphia. Those train lines that run through our neighborhoods are so, first of all, they're charming, <laughs> but they're also, you know, just the infrastructure aspect of it, how they move through those neighborhoods, you know, pretty much anyone can walk to one. There's just something really valuable about that. It's a, it's another, it's another connector. It's another community connector that would be gone. And that would be such a shame. Yeah. And it would, I would think that it would impact the commercial corridor of Germantown Avenue, not just for Chestnut Hill, but for Mount Airy as well. And, oh, sure. and if we are trying to get uh, to, a lot of urbanists are, uh, get Philadelphia uh, to focus on growing the population to 2 million people, uh, closing train stations and renting out boarded one, boarded up ones to uh, retail tenants, that's not the way to do it, is it? 
No, it's not. Although I will say, uh, renting out the train stations to retail tenants does not have to happen separate and apart from keeping the the lines open. Like Allen's Lane train station in Mount Airy, for instance, that is a a success story if there ever was one. It's an, you know, very, very highly used, frequently operating train. I mean, lots of people walk to that train and use it. And it's also a thriving cafe. You know, it, it works. So it's a community hub on, on two different levels. It's a, it's a transit hub and it's a community cafe and they have all kinds of community events there. It's really, to me, it's like, wow, that is a case study in what is possible, you know, with the right level of investment. What, what a, what not just a community anchor, but almost an economic engine too of a kind that it could be. Yeah, and I know your paper will continue to cover that uh, mm-hmm. uh, because honestly, it's the only reliable source of of news for something like that for that a section of the city that the the larger media outlets just can't cover. Yeah, yes, That's- it's true, and I'm I'm I I feel honestly I feel blessed to live in a neighborhood that still has, you know, actually Germantown is relatively new and recently that we are bringing Germantown in the way that we are. Um, But certainly Chestnut Hill has had the local for a long, 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 long time. And everybody, you know, that's the thing. All of our neighborhoods in this city deserve that. Well, that that was going to be my next level of care. That was going to be my next question. Uh, Generally speaking, Poorer communities don't have neighborhood newspapers or even e-newsletters or websites. Uh, does it? Does this set up a dynamic where neighborhoods who need the biggest voice actually have less of a voice because I, of the yeah. lack of that hyper-local media in those neighborhoods? I would say absolutely yes. And... I'll also say the bright spot is that I think that that is beginning to change. How so? You know, well, in that, the, the, this whole question of how does the news stay alive, you know, the business model of the news, generally speaking, philanthropy, big philanthropic funders are waking up to the fact that news needs to be supported philanthropically or it's all going to die. <laughs> you know, there's just no way there's no way around it for now anyway that's what right. the landscape looks like that may change in the future but for now that's where we are so what i'm seeing happening like you've got i think right now i think kensington voice over in kensington is doing some very interesting coverage over there and that's philanthropically funded actually let me take that back i'm not entirely sure what their business model is but i think they must be philanthropically funded. Then you've got um, just Germantown Info Hub in our own neck of the woods. You know, they're a very different kind of coverage than what we do because it's it's more, um, what's the word? There's a lot more features, you know, than what we do. They don't do the kind of um, investigative work. I, I would even say just enterprise reporting that we do. But nonetheless, they're there and they're, they're very good at what they do. And they, they do a very good job of supporting, you know, amplifying community voices. So that this is why I say it is beginning to change. If you just look across the media landscape in Philadelphia, it's a very exciting time. 
you know, there's all these sort of baby publications that are getting born, <laughs> you know, and how, how they survive and thrive remains an open question. And that's a challenge for all of us, I think, you know, is how do we, how do we help them thrive? How do we create a larger ecosystem for news, both on the business side and on the publication side, so that the, as many of them as possible can thrive? Because all of these, they're all, they're all focused on their own audience and giving their own audience the kind of attention that we give to ours. Right. Do blogs sort of like Planned Philly or Naked Philly or Hidden City Philly or, or Yimby or, or NIMBY for that matter, uh, mm -hmm. these, these blogs, they seem to be taking uh, a role very similar to neighborhood newspapers, although you know, they may be very specific to, you know, real estate development or, 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 or a particular issue. Do you see them playing a role in equalizing the playing field for folks, the electronic, uh, you know, the, the electronic arm of hyperlocal media? Because, you know, with the internet, anybody could be a you know, a microcaster, I suppose, right? I mean, look at us. Mm -hmm, we, mm -hmm. we have, you know, we're on the radio, quote unquote, right? Because we have mm -hmm. a podcast and people use their phones to to create uh, content on TikTok or, or on X and uh, for news and information. Uh, can these blogs play a part in, in uh, making things a little bit more equitable for those neighborhoods of, of more modest means? Uh, sure, sure. I, I guess I would regard all of the sites that you mentioned, and they're di all different from one another in various ways. Um, but I would regard them all as sources of information. You know, like, just as, you know, we have up in Chestnut Hill with our hyper local coverage, you know, people will be reporting things on Facebook or on next door, you know, and we don't have an army of reporters out there listening to every little thing that happens on every corner, obviously. So right. we're, we're, we're scrolling for information just like everybody else is. And I would say these blogs can really play um, a productive role when it comes to that. You know, here is a piece of information. Now, what's required on top of that, though, because there is definitely still an, an important role for journalism, you know, which is where you take that piece of information, you explore it, you vet it, you pull the threads, you verify what needs to be verified, you put it into the context that it needs to be put into, you, you ask the questions you've been trained to ask about, you know, where, what is the next thread I can pull? Where does this go? You know, those, we definitely still need that. Otherwise, we just have a universe full of, you know, posts on next door. <laughs> no, <laughs> Nobody certainly. would be able to know. Yeah, and one, right, so. one of the downsides to internet uh, broadcasting or, or, is, or internet journalism in general, I think, uh, and using that word very loosely, uh, journalism in this particular case, is that there is very... Uh, often no vetting, uh, and the, the independent sources to verify a story or an issue, uh, it, 
folks don't do that necessarily, where you have certain standards as a newspaper that you, you must do that. Is that right? Well, yeah, absolutely. We were, we're legally liable to do it. Certainly. And, and that exposure doesn't necessarily transfer to someone with a blog. Oh, absolutely. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You mentioned yes. enterprise reporting uh, as, as something you do, investigative reporting. I, I'm curious, what would you say are some of your wins or success stories uh, where that kind of enterprise reporting or investigative reporting uh, really um, had a deliverable for the folks who read your paper? Uh, that's interesting because oftentimes they don't have a necessarily a clear deliverable. It's more, you know, a better picture of of what is. You okay. get a better picture of what is. And that, like I would say, okay, the most recent one would be we did a big collaborative look. And we're, we're actually, this is a, a series we're in the middle of. We've just published the first installment of it, of a big look at how the city's water department is handling its combined sewer, sewer overflow problems. And, you know, that we're still dumping raw sewage into our waterways at a clip that really is unacceptable. We're not on track to solve that problem in the way that we had hoped to be when the city came up with this Green City Clean Waters Plan 12 years ago. So, and, and how we got into that, that, that's a, that, is a, that was a heavy enough a lift. It was ambitious enough that we needed help. I just didn't have the horsepower to do it by ourselves. So we wound up collaborating with, uh, we worked with a really talented freelance journalist and his name is Kyle, Kyle Wagenstos. And we worked together with Grid Magazine and Delaware Currents so that between the three of us, we could pay him what we needed to pay him to do the work that needed to be done and also just help support with the editing. And the, I'm doing some of the reporting myself on the next installment just to just help move it forward. And that's an example of um, that's an example of reporting that that grew out of. I got a, a grew out of a complaint from by someone who lives in one of our communities. You know this retired environmental engineer by the name of Kelly O'Day, who lives in East Mount Airy, who knows a thing or two, <laughs> you know, about, <laughs> about these systems. Right, right. And he showed up in my office one day with a binder uh, full of, you know, white papers and maps and sat down and said, look, my community of East Mount Airy has this ongoing chronic problem of flooding during heavy rains. Can I get you interested? And of course, yes, my answer was yes. Now it was some time between that conversation and the time that we were able to deliver some actual reporting on the matter. <laughs> because as I say, you know, it required, it required, you know, pulling together the resources that we did not in that moment possess. Right. So, but, but this is my, I guess what I would say, this is where he he views the Chestnut Hill Local as his community newspaper. And he felt like he could walk in off the street and come and sit down and talk to me. And he did. And so, you know, this is where, like, getting back to my earlier point, like there wasn't some magic news gremlin that put that story in my head. <laughs> you know what I mean? It took, it took Kelly O'Day coming to sit into my office 
walk me through this binder full of white papers and explain why it mattered. You know, so he, as a, as a resident and a reader, became part of our team in a way. You know, so this is how we, this is how we connect with our readership. That, in, and I, I think that there's something to the immediacy of the local paper that allows an interaction like that to occur. And there's a certain amount of trust that has to be uh, present for a Kelly O'Day to even walk into your building, right? Uh, yes, 100%. Be- because he must have trusted not only that you would you know, give him a fair hearing, but that if you took on the issue, that you were going to do it in a way that was responsible uh, yes, and, not, and not sensational. 100%. Uh, and, and, and I'll bring that, it back to another another example too with my my staff reporter Tom Beck. He's done an amazing job of covering you know the issues of zoning and development in our neighborhoods, which, as you know, I'm sure, are pretty much always primary areas of concern <laughs> for people. Uh, that's a and good. So, that's a good yeah. statement. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, and so you know he you know in the time that he's been reporting on this topic for us, he has established and developed uh, relationships with people who trust him. You know, so they tell him things that they might not tell someone who was just swooping in from on high who they didn't know. You know, so so he was able to do recently, one of my favorite, most recent stories of his was that he had, he got some complaints. People were coming to him about, oh, what is this strange new RCO that nobody's ever heard of that just got approved in Germantown? And it turns out that it was like somebody had applied to, for an RCO status and got it that was totally bigfooting all the other established RCOs. So now this RCO was taking in all of Germantown pretty much and almost all of Mount Airy and claiming that territory as its own. <laughs> so, so Tom looked into, now this is the kind of thing where, you know, it takes reporting skills. Something like that takes, you know, at least a dozen conversations. Of course. And then and having it, to go. And it's something that the inquirer would never even pick up, right? It would, but, yes, just right. because, you know, on. it was a maybe story. You know, maybe there's something there, but it doesn't, you know, and it's, 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 it affects this one little corner of the city. It doesn't affect the city as a whole. Right. So I can understand why they wouldn't, you know, but, it, but for us, it's a very big deal. And for the people who, for the people who have been spending, you know, the bulk of their, a lot of time advocating for their communities with these existing RCOs, for them, it was a very, very big deal. So what you was know, so the Tom answer? What happened go, there? Yeah, what happened? We'll see. We'll see in the end. But so far, what, <laughs> what Tom did was, um, you know, how RCOs are supposed to have public meetings regularly and post them and all that. So yes. Tom went to the public meeting that they were supposed to have, and uh, went, tried to go, and it was in a board boarded up building that was padlocked, and nobody was there. How so, about you that? Know, who, who knows what the purpose of that RCO is all about? Who knows what organization or what, but now is record that it's there and it's on the record that, you know, it, it was not fulfilling the terms of its, its, I guess it's permission to be an RCO. It's mission, right? That's right. fascinating. Well, I'm, 
We're going to do a follow-up on that next season, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that art. What's I'll going on? I'll the link and send it. But I bring it up by way as an, of an example, because that's where, okay, this is how journalism works. You know, Tom got these calls from these leaders of these established RCOs, people who, you know, have been in the trenches for a long time and really care. And they're asking him, what is up with this? So Tom goes and looks into it, and then he does old-fashioned reporting. You know, he go, he talks to all the people concerned, all of them, gets them all on the record. And then he goes, and he takes the step of showing up to go and see if they're having the meeting they're supposed to have. You know, that's getting in your car, driving there, and doing it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's more and more, I think you see less of. Well, sure. Yeah. Well, everyone's very, really comfortable doing everything up behind the screen and on their keyboard, but literally Mm -hmm. get getting in the car and driving up to a boarded up old building that is allegedly having an an RCO community meeting. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's that's old school gumshoe stuff. Old school gumshoe reporting. And I guess I bring it up because I do really believe there remains a place for that. You know, we that is a part of what the new journalism landscape needs to include. That, you know, journalism is changing in so many ways, for good and for bad, you know, and I, I think some of the new ways of doing things, it's really for good. But, you know, yeah. I got started in journalism back in the olden days. <laughs> right. You know, and... and um, and there are some things that are being lost. That Chestnut Hill Local, you mentioned the one in Kensington. I know there's uh, the South Philadelphia Review, I believe, is still in existence. Uh, is there a sort of a consortium or an alliance where you all get together, you know, uh, hyper local media, um, you know, annually or, or, or what have you to talk about um, what's going on, how you're doing it, share best practices? Is that happening? Yes. And that actually, that's what Resolve Philadelphia is all about. So they, I've just recently joined that network, actually. And uh, all these outlets I'm describing and referencing are members of that network. And we have periodic calls. I think they're quarterly, might be more frequent. And we all get together, get on the Zoom call and just talk about what the issues are. And also, there's a commitment there, too, which I think is fabulous, of, you know, doing at least one piece in a year that can be shared and appropriate for everyone else in the network, you know, so that it's a way it's a, I guess I would just say it's a support mechanism for collaboration. So that's great. yeah, I would say that's there. And then there's, um, again, I come back to it even before we joined resolve Philly, I'm noticing this too, just in my own network of, I've been in Philadelphia journalism for the bulk of my professional life. And so I, you know, just know people. (laughs) And I, and I was noticing just more, more interest in collaborating than I had before. So even in an informal way. So so the answer to that question is yes, I do, that it exists. And even also, we recently got, um, we were very lucky to get a, Lenf, a big Lenfest grant to help us with our expansion into Mount Airy and Germantown. And even there, they're setting up periodic calls so that all their grantees can have exactly the kind of 
sort of networking and collaboration and just information support that you're, you're talking about. Well, that's great. When you get the additional funds for an expansion, like, like you're going through right now, is that to put more editorial staff on, on, on the, on the team, or is it, um, you know, uh, just to increase the amount of paper you buy and ink you buy, or how does that work? Or what, oh no, what's none of the above. For? Okay. <laughs> it's really to help us imagine new business models and strategies for expanding and serving our audience into those two neighborhoods. So, really. It, it, in all practical purposes, it's going to really help us build out our digital presence and our digital tools, which we can use in Mount Airy and Germantown. And um, to some extent, you know, that will naturally, re- we're going to have to raise some supplementary money as well. So we are going to have to um, use, we, we're going to need more journalists. You know, what that looks like, we're still figuring it out. So interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. I guess- I'll say what, what I will say is it's, it's definitely, this is why I say it's a very interesting time right now in local media. There's so much happening. There's so much shifting and changing and the possibilities are all there and uh, the challenges are all there, but where the fact that Landfest is interested enough to fund our paper in the way that they have tells you a lot about what they see as as the need and the future and the opportunity right and the opportunity right 100 percent. yeah speaking of the future and i want to end on this um, what's a healthy hyper local media scene look like in philly um in the next year two years five years from now I would say a more mature version of what I see growing already. You know, I, I would love, I'll tell you what I would love to see. And I don't know how this could be supported, but I would love to see more, more, what's the right word? I would like to see the Philadelphia Inquirer as the city's major metropolitan newspaper make better use of the quality journalism that that outlets like mine are producing. That's what I would say. How would like, they do when, that? When, How would they do well, that? Well, I don't know. Last time I picked up a print copy of the Inquirer, they I mean the Inquirer does amazing work. When they do something well, they do it so well. And they do what nobody else can do. But at the same time, when you open up the print version and you, I look inside, why am I seeing so many stories from the Washington Post? Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, I feel like why aren't they, why aren't we seeing stories from Kensington Voice or Chestnut Hill Local or, you know, any of the other, you know, perfectly capable journalism outlets that are out there doing good quality journalism for their own communities. It would certainly provide a more interesting read for the average Philadelphian, that's for sure. 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 I mean, do you do you subscribe to the Enquirer? Absolutely not. Uh, the only newspaper I've, I read is what I consider the newspaper of record, which is the New York Times, and I get it delivered every Sunday. Uh, but online, I will peruse uh, the, the Enquirer, but it's 
nowhere near what it used to be. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that because, you know, the thing of it is, though, I, I have, you know, sitting in the chair that I sit in, I really understand how all of these things come to pass. And, you know, the challenges that any editor of any newspaper, whatever the size, is facing. And, you know, I do feel like we need, as a city and a region, it is important that we support the Inquirer because it, we need it. You know, what, what, we, what we want is it to grow into being a thing that we need even more. <laughs> you know, like, for example, would, say, that, yes. would, you subs- yes, would you subscribe to the Inquirer if, in, you know, on the front page you got a great investigative piece about... Um, what was the big thing they did recently about how – I can't remember now. It's about uh, use of overtime. But anyway, would, would you subscribe to it if you, if you got that on the front page? Of course, and I, and and I you- have actually. Uh, when I was reading their Crumbling City series about how yes. the infrastructure, like the, our built environment is literally falling down mm-hmm. around us, I was incredibly interested in that. And I, uh, Of course. But unfortunately, uh, those types of – uh, of of uh, in, in deep dives don't happen nearly enough for at the Enquirer. But what if you what if you knew that if you opened up the pages of that newspaper that inside you were going to see um, our story about the boarded up train stations in Northwest Philadelphia, to- or you would see like something that I don't know Kensington Voice has published about you know how. Uh, the mayor's new initiatives around the opioid epidemic are actually playing out on the ground there. That would be a game changer for me. And I think a lot of people, because, you know, what they're offering, I can get at so many other places. uh, And what they should be offering is something very unique and very Philadelphian. So your idea uh, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to. I want to say, really, gosh, the, the Inquirer has been so beat up over the years. You know, for all the same reasons that we all have. Of course, <laughs> you know? of course. And I know, I know those people, and they are amazing journalists, and there's so much talent there. So I don't think it's. I think we should not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think it's important, really important, to support that paper, and to help help it help it be what we all need and want for it to be. Because it's where if 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 that one goes away, there another one isn't coming along to replace it. <laughs> no, certainly not. Certainly not. And, and yes. we've had. Uh, we've had journalists from the paper on on this broadcast over the seasons, and uh, you're right, wonderfully talented. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. but reaching back into the community, hyper local media uh, as a resource is something that they should certainly consider because I think a lot of folks would pick up that paper again if that were the case. Yeah, well, let's we well, it's just an idea. It's a thought I had. That's a good one, and it was a great conversation. So, Carla Robinson. It was really nice talking to you. Thank you for joining us today on Philly Built. I really appreciate it. And I am certain that our reader, our listeners uh, appreciated it as well. You have a great day. And good luck doing what you do in Chestnut Hill, Mount Airy, and Germantown. I will, and you too. Thank you. Well, folks, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any questions or concerns or you want to look into Philly zoning, please 
visit us at phillyzoning.com. Until next time, thanks for joining us.